0: So welcome from whenever or wherever you are watching from to Element's live stream for today. Uh, If you could see the room that I see right now, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, We have 130 holiday toiletry baskets that we asked Element to make up only 100 of, but you guys are overachievers, so you did a great job. So what I want to do is I just kind of want to show you this. So I'm going to take a picture of it so you can see it. So... Hopefully, you can see that. No flash because it would throw off the camera or something like that. Oh, I'll do that. But anyway, this is really cool. Also, on top of that, you only have 11 shopping days till Christmas. There's 12 days until Christmas, but 11 shopping days, you're welcome. Don't freak out. Don't, don't leave our live stream and have to go on Amazon.com real quick. But if you do, go to smile.amazon.com, put Element. Anyway, hey, so we're going to hop into the stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, In the middle of the message, don't forget I'm going to put up a slide. And the slide's going to have a question. Uh, During that, you can go ahead and pause that, get some coffee, take care of your kids, maybe ask one another the question that's there in order to reset before we head back through the rest of the message. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Once you download Uversion, you click on More, and then Events within Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone. If you are not in our local area, just type in the zip code 93455. We will come up that way, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element, and if you're so inclined, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And this is John 16, verses 13 through 15. Uh, Father, this morning we ask that you would lead us to understand all the things that you have not just given to Christ, but then in grace and love also given to us. And that would turn us into this humble people who understand your grace more and more day by day. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move us today to understand the words that you are speaking to us through the scriptures that you have written and that we would come to know you better, that you'd be glorified, we would live in the joy that you provide. Amen. Amen. So we are doing this shorter series on the Holy Spirit. It's going to be eight weeks, and yes, eight weeks is a short series for Element. If you're new, so there it is. Uh, so often we misunderstand the Holy Spirit, and then we not, end up not thinking about Him or focus on focusing on Him at all. Uh, sometimes it's almost like a kid in high school that gets uh, you know a bad zit or something, and they can't pop it, so they just kind of ignore it and go through their life. That's sometimes how we treat the Holy Spirit, and it's terrible because God wants us to understand who He is, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we should know what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and in us individually. And so many times we have this improper view of who God is and how He intends to work in the world. So what we're calling this series is The Third Wheel. That's kind of our affectionate way to talk about it. Like the Holy Spirit ends up being the awkward cousin that ends up going to a movie with you that maybe you invited a friend and they brought that friend so it's just a little bit weird and a little bit different different because we don't know what to say to him we don't know how to speak about him or speak to him and it leads just to a whole lot of confusion and in the scriptures what we see is it speaks to us about the father the son and the spirit and just like the father and the son we are not fully quantifiable by what we see the same thing is true of the spirit but there are plenty of things that we read that help us to understand who he is and how he works and how he also works in And I think when we understand who he is out of the scriptures, it will teach us to be more confident in him. Now today, what I want to do is talk about the Spirit's mission in the world, uh, how he interacts in many of the ways that we can know. And how he interacts is not sometimes some of the odd things that people think of when they think of, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. It's how in the end we have all come to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you are someone who calls yourself a Christian, the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life you have had an encounter with who he is and so that's the understanding of part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us we have been changed by our interaction with him Almost all the time, when when the Bible talks about the work of the Spirit, it talks about what the Spirit does inside the church. But in John chapter 15 and 16, Jesus starts to talk about the work of the Spirit outside the church. Now, we've spent the last four weeks talking about who the Spirit is and what He does in the church. But today, what I want to talk about is that look in that mission of outside the church. Now, this is His mission, kind of like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Should you decide to accept it, this is what you're going to do but we don't have exploding tape recorders or or things like that. So in John 15 and 16, you get that mission impossible. And it is almost an impossible mission, so much so that historians today look back and they wonder, how did the gospel actually even go forward? How did it go into the world in the way that it did? Well, at the end of John chapter 15, Jesus says, go into the world and you're going to speak about me. In the middle of chapter 16, he says you're going to have opposition. Some people in the world are going to even feel like they're doing a favor to God if they kill you. So, yeah, it sounds like a whole lot of fun. So, historically, how did this gospel go forward? Cliff Notes version, it's the Holy Spirit. But Jesus sends out a bunch of fishermen that today we would consider to be illiterate. But they go out into the world and they have no rank in their country. They're in a country that has no rank or political clout in the wider world. And yet Jesus says, go out there and change the world. What's the message that they go out with? Well, it is that impossible message. Tim Keller, when he talks about it, he says they were supposed to go to their fellow citizens and they're supposed to say, hey, guess what? Yahweh, our great God, the uncreated creator, the transcendent king of the universe, he has become a penniless And that penniless preacher was then crucified. And then on top of that, though, he was also the deliverer of not just our nation, but the entire world. And even the best of you, the most religious of you are unclean unless you believe in him. How's that going to go over with these deeper religious people? Not well. But on top of that, they were also supposed to go out to the Greco-Roman world, those who love philosophy, the the people we talked about in the second half of the book of Acts, these people who love truth and beauty and justice, but they saw all of those ideas as things only in the immaterial realm, that they wouldn't become reality here. And yet Jesus calls his people to go to those people and say, the truth has become a historical particular Uh, more than that he's actually become a person named jesus and this jesus was executed as a criminal in this little backwater country named israel this tiny roman colony and by the way all you roman philosophers unless you believe in him you're lost How is that going to go over? Again, not well. And so historians wonder how in the world this message actually caught fire and went through the entire known world. Because at that time, of all the religions, Christianity was the one that always seemed to want to just go right up against cultural sensibilities of the day, just like when we understand it, it so does in our day. So why didn't anybody listen? Like, why do we know who Paul and Peter and John and even Jesus were? The answer is the Holy Spirit. That's how we know. Open your Bibles to John chapter 16. Uh, I know that some people will say, well, Jesus had dedicated followers, and he did. They were very dedicated. But every religion, no matter how small or weird, typically has some dedicated followers. We call them fanatics, and they're always willing to die for whatever faith that is. So that doesn't really explain it. I mean, think about this. When when most of these weird religions, when their founders die, they just kind of go away. Jesus, you know, in John chapter 16, he says, I'm going to die very soon. I'm going to be crucified. This would be like you're going into battle, and the night before, someone just killed your dragon. What are you going to do? It's like, oh my goodness. And what does Jesus do, though? He says, I'm going to die, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send you into the world with this message, but I am not sending you alone. I am sending the Holy Spirit to be with you and walk with you, and go into the world with you. That is the mission. So this is what he says, John sixteen verses seven through eleven Jesus says, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. and this is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago about Jesus being our advocate before the Father, and he says, and "You will see me no longer concerning judgment." because the ruler of this world is judged. So the reason we look at the Spirit of God and his mission in the world is this in the end is how all people ultimately come to trust Jesus as their Savior. I think for most of us, believing in Jesus is something we might have even struggled with or asked questions about and maybe some very good questions. But in the end, we trust Jesus above everything else. And that is the work of the Spirit. Now, sometimes I think when we talk about sharing the gospel or the good news with other people, we wonder how we can tell other people in a way that they would understand what we have come to know, especially if we're not really even sure how to say it ourselves. And sometimes we get frustrated unless we realize the Spirit actually is on the mission with us. It doesn't rest upon our shoulders. He's the one that takes us out. The truth is the Spirit brings a supernatural component to all of what God calls us to do and be in the world like some people think the whole idea of an inward supernatural religion is just silly because everyone today thinks that religion is just a cultural form or a cultural lifestyle but what the bible teaches is that christianity is first of all this inward transforming as god renews us back to life because of the gospel and then it becomes a supernatural reality which works out from the inside to the outside it works on the inside be ever before it becomes a lifestyle And so in these verses, Jesus will tell us that there is a general work that the Spirit does and then a specific, particular work the Spirit does. Like there's this general kind of conviction that the Spirit does in the world. But then when we believe, there's a much more specific thing that the Spirit does within us as we believe. John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, "...and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin." Now, the word convict there is this Greek word called eglacho, and it means to cross-examine someone to show them their error. It's like a prosecutor in the case. You get someone on the witness stand, and you cross-examine them to get to see all the holes in their argument. Now, it's interesting why Jesus says this and how he says this here. Because in verse 17, he says, I'm gonna send the counselor, or the helper, or the advocate. That's that word paraclete we've talked about. But then right after that, he then says this same counselor advocate is also gonna be someone who eglaho you. He's going to cross-examine you and put you on the witness stand. Yes, he's your comforter and encourager, but he's also gonna cross-examine you. It's like, what does that mean? It, it's, it's so weird. Well, it's kind of like this. If you love somebody and you are involved in, in their life, and you see them being involved in some self-destructive behavior, you want to do something to stop that. Hopefully you will talk to them, uh, confront them. Sometimes we call that tough love. You share the truth even though it hurts, but you do it because you love them. If we go back to, say, that Mission Impossible example, you know, they put a bomb in the evil building and they're all running away and someone gets shot or falls in a ditch and breaks their leg like, oh, no, the bomb's going to go. Just go without me. You're going to be OK. I'll die. You live. And what do people in the movies or TV show do? You're not going to die here. You're going to come with me. And they pick them up and they start carrying them. They have a bone sticking out the side of the leg. But they're like, let's walk. We're going to get out of here. No one's going to die today. And they take for what that is. That's prosecuting. That's prosecuting. You're not letting them sit there. You're saying, this is, I'm going to pick you up and we are going to go. And they prosecute. And sometimes people go through pain because of the prosecution, but we do it because we love them. And this is what the Holy Spirit does to us. Many times we are broken and he picks us up and says, we are going. You're going to walk with me. What the Holy Spirit does is he gets us to see how evil and guilt and shame has held power over our life. Think about this. Since it's Christmas time, uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, Mary, you are going to have God's son, Jesus. And Mary's first response is not, oh, wow, awesome. Her response is, oh, my goodness, how, how could God use someone like me? Why would God choose to use this vessel? And I think sometimes one of the best ways for us to be sure that we've really understood the gospel is we kind of go through that time and place of, of being like, oh my goodness, why would God deem to rescue me? I think that's how the Holy Spirit works in is when he convicts the world concerning sin. We start to look at our own lives. Now, sometimes that starts off as, I don't need God, I'm fine. But the more God works in us, the more we realize we're not fine. And then we realize all of our issues, we're like, but then why would God rescue and, and save me? This is kind of one of the works that the Spirit does in us. He will convict the world concerning sin. Meaning that we will start to get bombarded with questions about life and ourselves and Jesus. And I think a lot of people who come to follow Christ, many times they even start in that place of, well, this is impossible, why would I believe that? And they have lots of good questions. Well, I, think, even the, I think some of the atheists in the world today who are just bombarding Christianity with questions, I think the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts and they don't know what to do with it. And so the Holy Spirit's going at them They're like, I'm just going to go. And, I'm, and it's interesting to see sometimes some of those people actually come to faith in Christ in the end now in the roman culture they were kind of indifferent to religion when the church was going out and speaking of the gospel they were like you know that's just your own choice your own cultural lifestyle kind of like america today and very often again that first stage of what the spirit does is he comes and he starts working in our hearts and starts prosecuting us that we would see who we are and who god is and we would start to ask a ton of questions uh, Tim Keller I was reading this thing and he referenced C. Everett Koop's biography so I picked it up and I was and I was reading it. Uh, C. Everett Koop was one of the former surgeon generals of the United States and in his biography he talks about how he came to be a believer in Jesus Christ and he and he talks about how when he first started going to church and the and the pastor was talking about sin and righteousness you know convicting the world because of sin he goes he's like what does this guy think he is saying all these crazy things to me you know he doesn't know who I am but he goes as I kept going more I started to Think about those questions. And he goes, and whether I believed or not, I thought I had to start dealing with the answers to what was really happening within me. Like the Holy Spirit was starting to work on him and starting to convict him of sin, of things and of life, make him ask those those questions so he could see either he had to accept or reject it, but he couldn't just leave it there. The Holy Spirit started the work in Coop's heart. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I have people do this to me a lot. They say, Well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? And my very first question is, Well, do you believe? I mean, because that's a good thing right there. But it's really, in the end, have you ever felt the sensation? Of, the, of God's Spirit asking you questions and dealing with you and working on you with His divine presence, His cross-examining of us, convicting us, because Christianity in the end, it's not this lifestyle, it's that we are moved in the core of our being. The Holy Spirit essentially disturbs us, uh, disturbs our thoughts and where we're going and what we're thinking, and many times that's to elevated thoughts, serving each other, loving one another, and many times it's also to repentance of our sin as He of those things. Many times I think the way we know the Spirit is working on us is sometimes we even get upset that He is cross-examining us. We're like, why, God, why are you always doing this? It is not a nice experience to be sitting on a witness stand being cross-examined if it's ever happened to you. And just imagine being cross-examined by God Himself. Like sometimes my wife and I will have these conversations and she'd be like, uh, you know, did you eat all the chips but one and then put the bag back? I'd be like, why do you ask this question? Do you have this thing over here? Did you, did you fix that thing you said you were going to fix uh, I don't know did you try to use it <laughs> it's all, did you leave your dirty socks on the floor did you find them you know, it's, it's all these things like that it's like uh, I don't know but the spirit does that with us as well and he, and he takes all the things that we try to hide and we can't hide them from him and some people in the end they want to run from the spirit's conviction and what he's doing but when the spirit starts we can't run because he is in us and moving and working and it's the mission of the spirit to convict the world concerning sin so here's my question for you, uh, if, if you're so inclined right now. Uh, again, get a cup of coffee, take care of your kids, pause, ask one another this question, but this is it. How has the Spirit disturbed you? How has the Spirit dealt you? with you? How has the Spirit worked in you with conviction? Then also I think going along with that, how are the ways maybe that you have resisted or struggled against the Spirit as He starts to reveal things to you? Whether when you first believed or maybe it's still happening today, but how does the Spirit work and deal with you? All right, now I want to move on. Because that's a good place to kind of end that conviction of the spirit. But moving on, Christianity, we have to understand, is not just a set of guidelines for living that we can take some and leave the others and not really care about what we take or leave. Because Jesus says the spirit just doesn't disturb us in general because he thinks it's fun, right? The, The spirit goes after conviction in those three things, in sin and righteousness and judgment. And the spirit deals with all believers in those ways, maybe different with each person, but he goes through all of them. Now, in the Christmas story with Mary, when the angel shows up and talks to her and says all these things, it really, in the end, takes Mary weeks or months before she walks through this entire process, before she gets to her cousin Elizabeth's house and finally says, yes, I guess I am blessed, God's doing this thing. In the book of Acts, when we talked about the Philippian jailer for him, he goes through these things in an instant and believes. At at Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church in that first place, 3,000 people really instantly become believers and get saved. In C. Everett Coop's story he said it takes him an entire year to work through this process of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what C. Everett Coop says. He says, I began trying my best to be decent, but my efforts to reform myself were of to no avail. Now, this is interesting because he starts being convicted, you know, uh, of sin and what righteousness is supposed to be. So I'm going to figure this out. I'm just going to live a better life and I'll do it all myself. But he realizes in the end, he's not a great guy and he can't figure this all out himself. And so this is this is what he says after he says, I began trying to do my best. He says, one day I began to realize the essence of religion was very different than what I thought it was. The essence of Christianity was not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. I began to realize I had the whole focus wrong. I began to realize either my sins were on my shoulders or on Christ's shoulders, one or the other. I had to decide which it was. So the first thing that the Spirit does is comes in and he convicts Sierra Coop of his, of his own insufficiency, convicts him of sin. Then Sierra Coop begins to realize of this conviction that there is also then a provision made for him by Jesus himself. So he's then convicted of Christ's righteousness for him, that Jesus had done everything. And then he writes this, One Sunday I realized I wasn't observing worship anymore. I was a participant. I suddenly realized I believed it all. I didn't see my life Anymore is just a disconnected series of random coincidences and dilemmas. But rather I realized God had me. I was safe. I was secure. And it is exactly what Jesus said the Spirit will do. He will convict the world concerning sin, just like Coop. Then he will convict the world of his provision, of Jesus' own righteousness. And then in the end, he is convicted that now he needed to live under the rule and the reign of Christ. The word judge in there actually means to rule. So he lives under Jesus' authority. And that is the mission of the Spirit for every single one of us. Think about this. You ever try to get somebody to go to a doctor who doesn't think they have an issue? What you have to do is prosecute them, get to see the issue. Oh, your arm fell off, you're bleeding out your ears, you got to go see the doctor. Look at all these symptoms that are, that are here. And this is why the Spirit comes and He brings conviction before we ever understand the full salvation and the gospel message of what Jesus did to rescue us. Before we'll ever see redemption as anything more than just a strange concept, we must understand what we're saved from. So we understand the sin that is in our lives. Like when the religious leaders, they ridicule Jesus, you'll see in Luke five thirty one out of the NIV, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Like our need for a doctor is going to be conditioned on our need for help. And I've told you this before, but if someone offers you help, we typically only respond in love in the amount or degree that we feel we need the help. Like if you thought that you were okay and and you're fine, you might even resent someone asking you if you needed help. If you need a little bit of help and they help you a little bit, you're like, oh yeah, that's nice. But if you fell off a cliff and you're hanging off the edge of this cliff by a little shrub that's hanging out the side like, ah, and someone leads over and goes, hey, you need a hand? That person then becomes your savior, right? It's completely different. Jesus is having a dinner. At a Pharisee's house, the guy's name is Simon. And Simon just invites Jesus in, hey, shakes his hand, you want to go have dinner? Usually in a house like this, when someone venerated would come over, you would make sure their feet got washed. In that culture, you could be clean everywhere, but you walked on dusty roads, so they would have somebody wash your feet. Well, he doesn't do this for Jesus. Hey, just come in and eat, because he sees himself not just equal with Jesus, but actually uh, above Jesus. And so they're having this meal, and this lady is standing outside watching this whole thing, and and she comes inside, and she weeps on Jesus' feet and she dries his feet with her hair. I know it's awkward today to even imagine what that would look like, but it's more commonplace in that culture in that day. But as this woman is doing this, Simon starts thinking, well, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let that woman touch him. And, but Jesus knows what kind of woman this was. And he says, Simon, you've been falsely polite to me. But she, on the other hand, has completely embraced me. And then Jesus says this in Luke 7, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins are forgiven, which are many, and for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. See, the woman there knew who Jesus was. She understood the conviction of her sin, Christ's righteousness, the, the judgment of how he is supposed to rule, and comes and kneels before him. What does Simon do? Well, Simon didn't think he needed to be forgiven for anything. And so what does he do? He thinks he has no need for Jesus whatsoever. Someone once asked this question. They said, does the thought of Jesus dying on the cross so thrill you that it gives you courage in your life that you can face Anything? Can you, can you shake off fears when you think about it? Does it comfort you no matter what is happening to you? Because that is, the, that is the prosecution and the comfort that the Spirit brings into our lives. The early Christians, they, they would face lions. How do we face those that we disagree with? Our, our boss, our neighbor, our co-workers, things like, like that. The early Christians faced things the way that they did because they understood that they were a people who were steeped in sin and they had been rescued by Christ's righteousness and His grace in their lives. See, conviction of sin has to come first. Conviction of sin is what makes us understand and acknowledge that Jesus died for us and that death then becomes powerful instead of just some concept that is out there. And conviction of sin doesn't mean we just feel bad about something like we cheated or lied. It's that the Holy Spirit moves our conscience to understand who we are deep in who we are. It's like, yes, your conscience can get on your case if you lie, ooh, you just lied, or you treat someone bad, ooh. Oh, you just treated someone bad. But I'm I'm just not talking about a normal, natural conscience. Jesus says the Spirit's conviction is of sin. This is the whole thing that infects all of us. Why? Because they do not believe in me. This means there's something deeper than just being convicted of sins like lying or treating somebody bad. Those things, I think, can even happen without the Spirit because God has given us a conscience in our lives. But it is only the Spirit of God that shows us the reason we are living the way that we are. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is everyone in the world is trying to make themselves presentable to somebody they admire in the world the most. Uh, Whoever you like, you want them to like you so you're on your best behavior. Now, in the Bible, that word righteousness, when Jesus uses it there, it means to make yourself presentable to somebody so someone would like you. So how do you make yourself presentable or acceptable to those around you? Well, it depends on who they are. So it could be how you dress, it could be your income, your career, your status. What makes us feel presentable or acceptable to other people, ourselves, and then ultimately with God himself. And the Holy Spirit's job, part of what he does that Jesus talks about, is to come in and show us that everything we are doing in our lives is essentially a way to try and make ourselves presentable or acceptable to others or God himself or ourselves, and it's never going to work on our own. Like some people think God should favor me because I'm such a good person. I I raise my kids. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I'm better than most people. I'm decent. I'm honest. And what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into someone like that, just like say the Apostle Paul, for example, he comes in and he shows that person that you're not good enough on your own. You're not better than anybody else. Like, do we love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, will, willpower, everything, every moment of every day, 100% of the time? No, we don't. And those of us who feel like we're pretty good people, at least better than most, when we come under the Holy Spirit, we don't just think, oh, here's a little sin I lied. Oh, there's a little sin I I hurt somebody else. We see all the ways that we have tried to be our own Savior. And our own judge. That is all based on our own views and our own actions. And the Holy Spirit shows us we will never be acceptable on our own. How about the other side of that, though? What about a person who has an inferiority complex? Someone who feels like they're they're just never good enough and they're always a failure. Someone who always beats themselves up every single day. And they jump into destructive relationship after destructive relationship. People who do this usually say, well, I'm not worthy for anything more. I don't deserve anything better than this. And the Holy Spirit does not come to that person and make them feel worse about their failures. What the Holy Spirit does is come in and he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. But the sin is also not trusting him. A lot of times, people who feel this way are trying to be their own savior as well because they're trying to atone for their own sin by feeling bad enough. If I can nail myself to the cross, if I can be in enough pain, well, then I can atone for this myself. I will grovel. I will pay for all my past failures. And when the Holy Spirit goes to that person, the Holy Spirit convicts that person that the real sin is that they are also trusting in themselves. Now, uh, just recently, well, when I was writing this message, actually, there was someone in our neighborhood that wrote a post on Facebook about Element. We were too loud one morning thumping our subs when we used to have church in person. Imagine that. And, and they wrote this thing on Facebook that essentially in the end said the trouble with Christianity is you tell people all the terrible things about sin. They feel unworthy. Why would anybody want to come to God? Well, the people who say that don't understand the gospel or what Christianity is really teaching. The Holy Spirit says you are sinful, therefore you have to go to God. There is nowhere else you can go. It is bad self-esteem that says you're a sinner, therefore you can't go to God. God wants us to come to Him. The conviction of the Spirit never tells us we can't go to God because the only reason we could ever think we couldn't go to God, say, oh, I'm too unworthy, is the basis of our own performance, the basis of trying to make our own selves presentable before God. And this is why we get Christ's righteousness. We get to go before God because of his righteousness. The person who has a superiority complex and says, well, I'm better than most people. God should just receive me by what I've done. The Holy Spirit comes to that person and says, you are basing your salvation on good works. That is not how you are saved. On the other side, the person with the inferiority complex says, I'm too unworthy to go to God. And the Spirit of God says the exact same thing to that person. You're rebasing your relationship on good works. That is not how you are saved. He says the same thing to both people because both are trusting themselves more than the God who has loved them and called them to himself. The difference between Christians and religious people is religious people will repent of their sins, but Christians will also repent of their own righteousness, thinking we're so good and we're so wonderful. It's like C. Everett Koop said, I suddenly saw it's not what I did, but what Christ has done for us. See, the Bible is not just about forgiveness and peace and love and joy. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit leads us into what it takes to step into the presence of God. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, and it is received by faith. See, being convicted of sin is not just to feel bad. It means to see all along how we have been trusting ourselves and not God's great provision in Christ for us. To be convicted of righteousness means we see that Jesus has made a righteousness for us that is whole and perfect and complete. And we receive it by faith the day we cease to trust ourselves and begin to actually trust him. So how do we know if all these things have actually happened to us? Again, you know, being convicted of sin just does, doesn't mean you just feel bad. I mean, it could start with that. The conviction of sin means the Spirit of God comes in and shows us everything that we have been doing on our own to try and make ourselves acceptable to us, ourselves, or God himself. So the Spirit brings to light all of those places. He cross-examines us and shows us what is really going on in our hearts, our own self-perceived righteousness. And he shows, shows us the beauty and perfection of what Jesus has done, how Jesus' death completely pays for our sins so we don't have to keep atoning for them. And this is the understanding of of convicting the world because of sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus' life completely satisfies the requirements of the law. He stands before us as our advocate in heaven while the Holy Spirit advocates for us right here on earth. This is why Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And he says, I'm going to go to the Father and I am going to stand before the Father, and when the Father looks at you, He is going to see you through me and what I have done. And we get to be blameless, without spot, before God. We are, we are free from accusation now in His sight because of what Christ has done. And again, when He says that the Spirit brings judgment, you know concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, it means that a Christian is someone who understands that our life is not random. God has a purpose and a plan. He has mapped things out, and that word judge in the Bible means to rule. And until we are convicted of our sin and his sufficiency, his righteousness, and then the rule of the Spirit, or the, the rule of, of what uh, Jesus is in our lives and over us, the Spirit is not done with us. And that means our entire lives, the Spirit is just never, ever done with us. See, we must be a people to start to live as if we are loved. I mean, can you imagine if we actually lived as a people who were actually filled with the Spirit daily as Paul urges? as the Spirit reminds us and takes us back to the cycle of real truth, of how we were lost in our sin, then remembering our complete salvation and His righteousness so that we would get up every day and say, I will live under your rule and reign, that the stars may fall from heaven, but I know your love for me will never, ever end because it's not based on my righteousness. It's not based on my perfections. It's based on your perfection and righteousness. This is why we must come to a place where we see Through what the Spirit is showing us, all that Jesus has done for us. And we put all of our faith and all of our hope and all of our trust in Him. And in so doing, we sign off the authority of all of our lives over to Him. He is our Lord. And that is the mission of the Spirit. And He is still on it. And He calls us as His people to go into the world. The Spirit's mission is to bring people to salvation. And if you are someone who believes in Christ, the Spirit is accomplishing His mission in you. That is what the Spirit does. And he calls us that we get to be part of that as well, to go out and share this goodness, to go out and share this great hope. We get to be on the mission impossible with him. And no matter what comes our way, when we get freaked out, we get scared, we get worried, we, we don't have to run away because we understand the ideas of sin and righteousness and judgment. Who we were, who we are in Christ, who now rules over us every single day is him. And that gives us such strength to live day by day into what he calls us to. Now at Element, you know, every week we want to remind you guys of the gospel. And this whole message is really a gospel message. But part of that is speaking about communion. And understanding what that is. And I, and I know we're not together and it is different where you're at. But if you're so inclined, you know, communion is where you, where you take a cracker or a piece of bread and you break that. It's to remind us of Christ's body that was broken for us. And then you'll either take wine or grape juice. You can dip it in that or you can, you can drink that. But it's a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for us. And Jesus says you do this in remembrance of me, of what I have done. And that takes us back to the understanding of sin and righteousness and judgment of Christ's great salvation over us. And that's one of the reasons we encourage you to do communion every single week as a reminder of God's great love for us. It resets us and restores us to understand what Jesus did and the mission of the spirit in the world. Then, if you guys need prayer today, if you're, in a, if you're in a place where you feel like you're just being overwhelmed, maybe you feel like you're overwhelmed with your own sin, and you don't understand Christ's righteousness spoke, spoken over you, we would love to pray with you. If you would like to, you can put a comment on the side of the live stream. Uh, you can send an email to prayerelement.org connect at our element.org, and we'd love to get a hold of you and pray with you if you so need that. Uh, really if you have any prayer requests, let us know. We'd love to be able to pray with you in that. Our our mission as a people is to be on the mission of God. And that is salvation being spoken of everywhere we go. And so I would encourage you to, to grab the sermon notes. Go through some of the questions in those sermon notes. Talk to one another about it and how we can more be on that mission with the Spirit and trust Him in all the places He sends us. You know, and I think part of, especially this time of year in our mission, is to learn how to be a generous people. Yes, to element. I mean, God is generous, us, so, so we give. But also be generous in your love and your grace and your hope to those who are around you as well. Uh, because if, if you don't know this, we've been put on another, everything's been put on another lockdown apparently from here to San Diego. And people are, are getting locked in, they're shut in, they're, they're, they're scared. And we need to be those who understand our salvation we've received so we can speak hope to the world that is around us. And so be generous with the grace that you have received. Yes, in, in how we give, but also in how we love. Let's be the people that understand our great salvation So we would then extend ourselves out to be God's hands and feet to this world around us as he calls us to be. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take us and remind us really daily of what the gospel means because so often we get off track. And Spirit, we thank you for your conviction of sins, for cross-examining us. And not just that, not just cross-examining us, but then also being our counselor and our advocate and, and our helper to lead us to the places to understand Christ's righteousness spoken over us, that you would convict us of that righteousness, that we our righteousness does not come from us, it comes from Christ, and that you would continue to steer us back to understand the gospel. And that you would also bring us to a place of we understand that judgment, that ruling and that reign of Christ over everything. That you would move our hearts and our lives to be fully committed to who you are. But that commitment comes would come out of our great understanding of the salvation that you have first given to us. That we would again love because you love us and bless others because you have first blessed us and give because you have first given to us. That all that we do would just start to live as a result of a natural response to what you have done in us. I ask that you would truly teach us to be your people by understanding sin and righteousness and judgment and living in this full grace of the gospel. Thank you, Spirit, for making these truths known to us. And in all this, we ask all that we've asked in your son's precious and good name. Amen.